And the first verse of chapter 4, again, Jonah chapter 3, if you'd follow as I read, verse number 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he, that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, if this was the first time that you ever read the book of Jonah, you'd have to say, wow, here is an entire city that has just turned to God. We would call it a revival. Some would call it a great awakening. But we'd say, wow. And if you were Jonah, you couldn't help but your buttons popping with pride that God would have used you to be a part of that great work, having said what we would think would be the next verse. There in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Folks, that is unbelievable. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this little book of Jonah. We have taken months now to look at it. We're making our way into the last chapter Help us, Lord, not only remind us of the storyline, but help us to make something practical in our lives. If this was the first time that we read chapter 4 and verse 1, we'd shake our head and say, I must be missing something. Lord, for many of us, we've read this chapter many times in our life. And Lord, we, we still kind of can't figure it out. I pray to help us tonight. Guide my words, my thoughts. May, your, uh, may, may you speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we've looked at the book of Jonah. Chapter number one. God calls this prophet from Galilee to go to Nineveh. That would be northeast. But he doesn't want to do it. He does not want to preach to that Assyrian people. So he heads down there to Joppa, and he is... On the first ship out, looks like it's a cargo ship, pays to get on the ship, hides below. God knows exactly where he's at. He can't run from God. God sends a storm, and that ship begins to toss. Finally, he admits to the rest of those on the ship that he's running from God. Throw me overboard, he tells them. And sure enough, they throw him overboard. The ship is calm, but he's still not right. And so we know at the end of chapter 1, God sends a great fish. And we know it's a whale from Matthew 12, verse 40. God sends a great fish to swallow him. That's chapter 1. Chapter number 2, while he's in that whale, it seems that Jonah gets his heart right now. Keep that word in mind, seems. He makes all kinds of promises to God in that whale. He asks for God to forgive him. He asks for God to deliver him. And uh, sure enough, at the end of chapter 2, God gives instruction for that whale to spit him out on dry land, and chapter 2 ends with him sitting on dry land. That's chapter 2. Chapter number 3, God again says to Jonah, I want you still to go to Nineveh. And so sure enough, Jonah heads where he should have gone in chapter 1, he goes a third of the way into this huge city and he begins to preach and uh, yet what he preaches is judgment. Look there in Jonah 3 and verse 4. 
And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So all he preached was judgment. No grace, no mercy, no exit door, you're done. In spite of the fact that he preached no grace, everyone in that city, from the king all the way down to the uh, poorest pauper, they got their hearts right. And that's why we read chapter 3 and verse 10, and God saw their works, that's they, they turned, they, they repented, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not again. If you and I had never read chapter 4, we would say, wow, that's the greatest recorded revival in the Bible at, at, at very conservative estimates. This city had to have had 500,000 people. In a much more liberal estimate, it could have been a million. And for a half a million to a million people to have gotten right because of the preaching of one man, why we'd say, you had got to be proud, Jonah, that you were in that. And yet, again, look at chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Do you remember what word I asked you to remember a couple minutes ago? Seemed. It seemed in chapter 2 that he got his heart right. But if that's what we thought in chapter 2, we realize he didn't really get his heart right. Some would say that Jonah had a deathbed repentance, because he's about to die in that whale. I heard a preacher uh, some time back, he said, always be wary of deathbed revivals. He also said, be wary of death row revivals, because many times those people are at the end of the rope and the knot is slipping, and it's a last-ditch effort to get God's help. I'm just repeating what someone said. And you know the way that you know whether it's genuine or not? It's always time. Time always tells that. So with that said, I would suggest that Jonah didn't get his heart fully right, chapter 2. And it didn't manifest itself until chapter 4. So if you're taking notes, I know that many of you do. Uh, my title is Evidence When Someone Is Not Right With God. Now, folks, I hope that every time I get on my face before God and fix something with God, I hope that my, my heart is thoroughly right with God. I'm sure you do, too. Pastor, how would you know if your heart wasn't fully right with God? Well, we're going to see some things in these opening verses of chapter 4 that were true about Jonah that would be evidence also in your heart and my heart. Again, we're looking at evidence when someone is not right with God. Look at the first one, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Would you write this first thing down? The first evidence when someone is not right with God is they are angry in their heart. They are angry in their heart. Now, there is no reason for Jonah to be angry. In fact, to, quite to the contrary, Jonah has every reason to rejoice, high-five, do cartwheels, somersaults, and shout at the top of his lungs. But he's angry. 
what is it that he's angry at? Like, you know what? I, I can understand a believer not surrendering to God's call. I know that there are some Christians God has called them to do a work, and, and they said, Lord, I, I, don't, I can understand. I don't agree with it. I can understand it. I can understand a preacher not wanting to answer God's call and finish an assignment. I understand that. I can understand why a missionary would fear to go to some foreign countries. I understand that. Folks, uh, as much as you might think that Canada is a difficult country to live the Christian life, it is nothing. It is a cakewalk compared to some Muslim countries and some communist countries. I think that uh, we have much more freedom than they do in China or that they do in Russia or in Cuba or some of those places. Uh, but I can understand a missionary fearing to go to a foreign country. I can understand a Christian who wants more of the world and less of God. I can understand a Christian who is on the front line and they're just down, worn down and they get weary. I, I can understand a saint feeling lonely, like there's no one else that's standing with them. But Jonah wasn't facing any of those things. Jonah did answer God's call here. Jonah did preach in a very dangerous place. The gospel that he preached was received. He had every reason not to be angry, and yet he was angry. And I say to you, the very first evidence when someone is not yet right with God is there still anger in there. There's some folks that are angry at everything. Uh, when, and certainly Jonah wasn't the only one. I, I think of Cain. We know that Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. It's Genesis 4. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was not accepted. And Cain got angry. Cain got angry because God wouldn't accept his offering. And so God said, it, it says unto Cain and his offering, God had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, that's angry, and, and his countenance fell. And so Cain's anger didn't stop with being angry at God. He was angry at his brother. He was angry at those that did obey God. And finally he killed Abel. Moses got angry. We know that early in Moses, Moses lived to the age of 120. The first 40 years he was raised in Egypt, Pharaoh's palace. The next 40 years he lived in Midian. Remember, he fled at the age of 40 from Egypt's palace to Midian. And he fled because he was convinced, listen closely, he was convinced God wants me to deliver Israel. Was he right or was he wrong? He's right. He was convinced at 40 that God wants me to deliver Israel now. Was he right or was he wrong? He's wrong. God didn't tell him at 40 to try to deliver Israel. God told him that at 80. So you can have the right direction in the wrong time. You can. And you know what? When Moses at the age of 40 fled to Midian, I think it's Exodus 2 and verse 15. Do you know there is no mention from that point in the next 40 years that uh, Moses talked to God, that Moses looked for God, that Moses 
pleaded with God. Moses, I'm suggesting, was angry at God. And he didn't talk to God for 40 years. And that's an indication that his heart was not right with God. He was angry. And of course, here, Jonah is angry. I'm saying to you the very first evidence of someone who's not right with God is they are angry in their hearts. And you say, well, preacher, I'm glad I'm not never angry. Aren't you? There are some that are. Some Christians are angry that God birthed them into that home. Some are angry that God gave them that physical disability that they can't overcome. Some are angry with God because uh, they didn't get enough brains or, or beauty or brawn. Some are angry with God they didn't get to marry the one of their dreams. Some are angry at God because they haven't succeeded in their life's ambition. Some are angry at God because a close friend turned against them. Some are angry with God because God took their mate or their child or their family or their job. Some are angry at God because their reputation has been tarnished. Some, some people are just angry. And when you talk to them, you hear it in the words that they say. Look there in Jonah 4, verse 2. Still on the same point. And he, that's Jonah, prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. Notice that term, Lord. The term Lord would suggest what? So give me a guess. Lord. When you call God Lord, you're acknowledging that he is the what in your life. He's his boss. When you call him Lord, you're saying, you're in charge. You call the shots. You did. That's what Lord is. When we say Lord Jesus Christ, that's acknowledging that he is the one that runs your life. So this prayer of Jonah in verse 2 is just a little hypocritical. He's mad at God because God didn't destroy the Ninevites, and so he prays. Look again there in Jonah 4 and verse 2. Jonah 4 and verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. <laughs> Jonah, how could you? That's so hypocritical. If God is indeed your Lord, Jonah, then whatever God permits in life, God always knows best. And so he was very angry because God didn't do what Jonah thought God should do. Look at the rest of verse number 2. Uh, he says, I pray unto thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled uh, before the end of Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Isn't that a strange thing? Jonah was the recipient of God's grace in chapter 2, and he was happy about that. But he was angry that God would be gracious with other people. Are you angry that God's gracious with other people? That God's kind with other people? All those things that uh, Jonah said about God, all of those things were true. And so let me make this statement before we get to our next point. Everything that, other than calling him Lord, everything that Jonah said in verse number two is true about God. 
Look at the last half of the verse again. God is gracious. And God is merciful. And God is slow to anger. And God is of great kindness. And God does repent from time to time of an evil agenda that he was following. God is all of that. Could I say this? Jonah had all of his doctrine right. But his heart wasn't right. And folks, you and I kind of suggest that we have all of our doctrines right. But you can have all of your doctrines right and your heart still not be right. Have no compassion with people. And if it, whether it's pastoring a congregation, teaching a class, everything that you say might be accurate. But I wonder, is there a heart for those people? Do you love those? If it's children, if it's teens, if it's adults, and so the first thing, preacher, how would I know if someone's heart is not right with God? And the first way you know is they're angry. They are angry in their heart. They are angry at God. They're angry at people. So, preacher, things are just not half the way I thought. Yeah, but you have to trust that God's in control. God's not up at heaven and say, oh my, what's happened? Oh my goodness. No, God's not like that. I give you a second way that you would know if someone's heart is not right with God. Look there in Jonah 4 and verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, so he's still praying and he's still calling him Lord. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Could, could you write this thing? The second evidence when someone is not right with God is they have a low appraisal of life. They have a low appraisal of life. You know, when you and I lose the importance of life, our life, someone else's life, we're just on the verge of doing something that's really stupid. And so he's saying to God, there's no use for me to live any longer. God, why don't you just kill me? If God has your heart beating and that, that, uh, that, that breath in your lungs, God still has a purpose for your life. And yet, if your heart's not right with God, you'll say, God, I don't have any purpose left. Your heart's not right with God. So he here is saying it would be just as good if I died than I'd lived. Jonah wasn't the only one that came to that place. We know that Elijah, there are 1 Kings 19, after the great victory, we know that Jezebel threatened Elijah. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 4, Elijah began to run, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested him for himself that he might die. In fact, he said, oh, Lord, take away my life. That's a man of God who his heart has gotten out of sync with God because he's saying it would be better that I be dead. God, Elijah, God's not finished with you yet. Don't terminate your life before God does. Uh, we know that Moses, uh, as he led those two million Jews, that burden became so great, uh, Moses said in Numbers eleven fifteen, If thou deal thus with me, kill me. 
Moses, he was certainly not at the end of God's plan for his life. You know, even the Apostle Paul, under the great pressure of caring for those churches, he said about himself, pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, let me make this statement on behalf of all those that are leaders in this church. Even leaders in a church can get so discouraged that they think it would be better, God, if you just take my life. Listen, if it happened to Moses, if it happened to Elijah, if it happened to Paul, here, if it happened to uh, this man, Jonah, some of those were preachers and pastors and leaders. Could I implore you, pray for your pastor. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for our deacon. Pray for those that are in any position of leadership. You say, oh, preacher, I'm not a leader, then you already have pressure upon you to compromise and, and ease up and quit pushing so hard in this Christian. You already do, even without a leadership position. Don't you know that the devil cranks it up much higher to knock out those that are leaders? And that's what we find about Jonah. When his heart was not right with God, his, uh, his uh, I'm trying to get my word, his appraisal of life took a nosedive. Do you know, Jonah wanted to die because all he was thinking about was himself. And uh, how different Paul was. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, preacher, what are the evidence that, that, that I'm not right with God yet? Well, the very first thing is there's an anger in your heart. Second thing is there is a low appraisal of life. I'll give you a third thing. Look in Jonah 4 and verse 5. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So God's trying to reason him. Why are you so angry? I've just spared a million people, Jonah. So God's trying to reason with him again in verse 4. Then said uh, the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Look at verse 5. So, uh, sorry, verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Think about that. <laughs> he is still hoping God destroys him. So he makes a little hut, and he sits down in this hut, and he's just looking at the city. And I don't know if he had a watch with a calendar on it. 18 days, 17 days left, 16. Remember, he's counting 40. 15, 14, 13. He has no care about a million lost souls. But again, in verse number 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Isn't that a crazy thing? He's not glad about a million people that have just turned to God. But he's glad about a gourd? 
Do you know in the entire book of Jonah, that's the only time that we find Jonah glad? That's a strange thing. Could I give you this third thing? Third evidence when someone is not right with God is they give higher attention to the temporal. They give higher attention to the temporal. How many Christians get more excited over vehicles and fashions and houses and land and Wall Street and Hollywood? But you can't get them excited about lost souls. And how many a Christian has a pleasant look when you talk about their goods, but a poochy lip when you talk about God? I did not tell Brother Goble what to put on the sign. But that sign says it exactly. If you are thankful to God, you're going to talk more about God and not about the things that God has given. And so again, if your heart, if my heart is not right with God, we'll get all happy about the temporal things of this world. And we won't bat an eye about some sinner that heard the gospel, some sinner that trusted Christ. Folks, that's a priority that's all messed up. And, and we see that here in Jonah's life. Look there again in chapter 4 and verse 5. Chapter 4 and verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth. And so he had no problem taking his efforts and building a temporary shelter to protect himself from the elements. He had no qualms about spending time building that kind of a shelter. But he struggled to spend time to prepare an eternal shelter for lost souls. Over the years, you know, this church has had those that, that, that all their conversation is about temporal things. And they're so caught up in that. And you can't get them to talk about eternal things. And if some soul does get saved, the Jonas say, I'm not sure if he was sincere. Why don't you pray that he be sincere? Or if some backslider comes home, it won't last. Why, is, why are those the words that would come out of my lips or of yours? You talk to these people about sports, vacations, cars, gardens, they're very glad. Do you know when that, we all know the story of the prodigal son. We know that when he finally came back, how excited his dad was. And how bitter his older brother was. And so again, uh, I say to you, the first, uh, third evidence is they give higher attention to the temporal. Let me give this last one if it could. Look there in Jonah 4 and verse 5. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. What was he hoping for? That it would be totally destroyed. You know, when you begin to hear about some other Christian's problems, what do you hope for? When you begin to hear about another church's problems, what do you hope for? You know, the fourth evidence that Jonah was not yet right with God is what they, is they eagerly anticipate disaster. 
they eagerly anticipate disaster. As a pastor, I get phone calls from all over. I've got another one today. The one today lasted an hour and a half. And in this conversation was information about another church that was in tremendous trouble. And you know what I said? I don't rejoice in that. Folks, I don't rejoice in any church that has trouble. I don't rejoice in any Christian that has trouble. The the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil's business is not to prove anything. It's just to accuse. And the devil's work is just to chisel people that are trying to do something down until they're down to the ground. And when those kind of words come to your ears, what are you wishing for? God salvage them. God spare them. God, I hope that somehow you rescue them out of what looks like a big trouble. If our heart's not right, we'll be hoping for their demise. Back in the 70s and 80s, there there was a very well-known preacher. If I mentioned his name to you, you'd probably recognize it. There were accusations about that preacher that he was involved in immorality. And uh, Pastor Carlson, was it true? Was it not true? That is secondary to my illustration. Do you know that there are some people that were uh, that were signing to get Christian periodicals because those Christian newspapers periodicals had the newest mud on this accusation? People that would never have ordered that, that periodical, that newspaper, that never would have ordered it before because they found out it would be a source of just a little more mud. There were people that ordered it. Someone came to me and said, Brother Carlson, have you read? I said, no. They said, well, I've got a copy right here. Would you like to read it? I said, no. They said, don't you want to find out? I said, no. Why not? I said, I'm praying it's wrong. I'm praying that God salvages that pastor's testimony because there's a whole church that's at stake. And I said, quite honestly, I would be more concerned about the Christians that are trying to spread all of that. Folks, if you want to keep your heart right, if I want to keep my heart right, you don't want to read the newest from the grapevine. You want to take it to God. You want to say, God, I have enough struggles on my own plate. I have enough devil on my own heels. I am not going to be part of that smear campaign for that man God, help me. Help help there never to be a glee in my heart about the downfall of another Christian. Jonah was waiting to find out what would happen. He was wanting the demise of that whole city. 
poor sign. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the text. Lord, I know that we've been taking our time through this book of Jonah. Lord, uh, we've just seen the character of a man. What a great opportunity that you gave him. And how you so mightily used him in spite of himself. It sure looked like the end of chapter 2, he got his heart right. Lord, we now notice in chapter 4 that it wasn't completely right because he still battled with some things. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to get the victory? Help us to with the past behind us. Help us to go forward. Lord, you're not done with us. That's why we're still breathing. That's why our blood is still pumping. I pray that you would help us to be anxious. God, what would you like me to do for you next? May we learn from Jonah, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.